Welcome to the aggressive life. You know, people hear the word aggressive. There's something negative that always comes up most of the time with people. We think of a bully or an overbearing boss or somebody with anger problems. But, you know, joy can be just as aggressive. It's, Absolutely. It's, don't talk yet, Perry Noble. Don't put This is my meandering time. I'm supposed to talk right now. You're not the Sorry. preacher, man. You're the guest Sorry, on my man. podcast, so shut your yapper until I ask you to say something. All right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. Let's get the lines of authority right here. Jeez, dirt, turn that turn that guy down. I don't need to hear him from him unless I. We'll, we'll hear from Perry when I say we get to hear from Perry. On <laughs> Amen. So so uh, joy, joy has to be aggressive. It's aggressive to keep hoping, keep pushing forward, to find something to smile about even when things are bleak. So my friend that you've just heard a little bit of prematurely today, Perry, and I would call him a friend because he is a friend. He's going to take us there today. He's a, he's a man that seems to be always smiling, but it's not because his life is all rainbows and butterflies and unicorns and kisses. He's had some very, very painful excruciatingly difficult thing over the last several years. And um, I'm going to be a nice enough friend to just make him relive all of it. All of it. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, 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 he's just been through a ringer and um, so much so through a ringer that, uh, you know, a lot of people might not necessarily want to hear what he has to say, but I do because he's, he's a good dude who's done amazing things and is doing amazing things. I think we can learn something from him. He founded New Spring Church in South Carolina in 2000. In the 16 years he led it, the church shot off like a rocket with 11 campuses and 40,000 people reached every weekend. Church is doing great, but Perry wasn't. His unchecked alcohol abuse had wreaked havoc on his personal life, family, and his ability to lead others. And on July 10th, 2016, Perry was removed from his position as senior pastor at New Spring. The news quickly spread across the literal world. Nothing's been easy for Perry, but he hasn't stopped fighting. He went through intense rehab. He hobbled through a painful divorce. He fought back anxiety, guilt, and depression. And at his lowest, he even contemplated suicide. But he kept moving. He kept putting one foot in front of the other, and he found his second chance. So today, we're going to talk about how to find a second chance for yourself. Maybe how to be aggressive in giving somebody else a second chance. Maybe how to be aggressive in forgiving yourself, getting to a new place. Welcome to the aggressive life, Perry Noble. I can talk now? Yeah, you can talk now. Okay, now. good, good, good. <laughs> It's good to be here, man. It's good to see you. Hope things are going well with with you and all the team up there, man. Yeah, man, we're doing we're doing well. I feel like uh, you and me, it's feast or famine. Like we we have a lot of interaction in a very short time period, and then we go a long time without anything, and then a lot of interaction. So it's been a while since we've kind of hung, but I've been following up with you or watching you from afar on Instagram. How much weight have you lost, dude? Dag, I am I'm down about forty pounds. I'm down about four inches in the waist. Uh, I'm 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 in the best physical physical shape I've ever been in my life. I would um, I would have never said you were overweight forty pounds, but man, you've uh, you stripped down to lean, mean running machine. Well, I hit I hit it well, man. I had a, I always wore loose clothes. That's the thing. When pastors are always wearing loose clothes, it's because we're trying to hide the belly. That's a <laughs> That's a pastor secret out there for some, I don't know if that blessed somebody or not, but that's what I was doing. I was wearing super loose clothes and always wearing black. <laughs> 
So here's here's the the thing I'm I'm wrestling with here today, brother. I man, I, I don't want to have you relive all your all your crap. I mean, there was a lot of crap back there, and I, and I know you've gotten to another place, but I feel like for people to appreciate and get the lessons from you on kind of aggressive recoveries, I think we're going to have to go back there. Are you okay with that? Is that peachy? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So I gave you the little intro that Dirt had written up for me, but read between the, tell us between the lines what was happening there. You, you had one of the more, one of the more surprising and confusing firings, uh, you know, in, in the church world. I mean, generally right. someone gets fired uh, it's, you know, it's a moral failure. It's uh moral failure as an adultery. It's embezzling, embezzling funds. It's something like that. None of those classic things happen, but boom, you were kicked out and, uh, you were, yeah, you were, you were lower than the footprint when you and I started to spend more time with each other. But tell us what happened. Took right. us back there. Well, going all the way back to starting a church, um, you know, you use that term mega church pastor. And it's so funny when people use that term to criticize and tear down pastors, they don't realize that most megachurch pastors that that I know, and I'm sure you would say the same about the ones that you know, we we didn't start out and say that our goal is to be a megachurch. Like I didn't ask for it. I just I was in Anderson, South Carolina. There are that most people don't know, even know where that is, and so I just wanted to start a church that reached people that most churches were not reaching. And in 16 years, we we saw a lot of stuff happen. And I actually mentioned at the current church I'm pastoring right now that those were 16 of the best years of my life. I'll never discount the miracles that I got to see. Um, some of the things that I got to, like the Lord allowed me to participate in was absolutely amazing. So when I look back on that season of my life, even though there's some there's some pain involved in it, there's way more joy uh, that I experienced. And so that that's, so it's not always a negative thing. Getting, getting, getting fired wasn't fun. Um, if you've, and there's a lot of people listening to this podcast probably that have been fired from a a job. But the, the thing about getting fired as a pastor is, um, they, they, they air out your, your dirty, your dirty laundry. So, so it came out that I was, I was, uh, I was drinking way too much and I was, I, completely agree. hundred percent was drinking way too much when, when the church and I couldn't come to an agreement on how that should be handled. I got let go. And it was, uh, it was probably one of the lowest points of my life. Yeah. The mega church pastor thing. I just, I just find myself using that term more just because everyone else uses it and it's descriptive. I, I personally hate the term. I mean, a church is a church. It's, it's what, it's what God is using you to do and you're fulfilling your mission or not. But Mega does speak to the size element that a lot of people use that. So, and and the size also, I think, does create some different leadership challenges. Would you agree with that? One hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not just leadership challenges, but also um, personal coping strategies. So, alcohol was one of your coping strategies. Is that is that how you would call it? Yeah, you know what's funny, Brian, is when I first became a Christian. In 1990, I was a teetotaler, and so um, I'm from a, I'm from a good Southern Baptist background. And our big joke is the only difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian is a Baptist won't wave at you in the liquor store. And so <laughs> it, we just um, we just Baptists just don't don't drink, and if you did, you kept it a secret. 
and it wasn't about 2000 to, until about 2008, 2009 that I, I kind of re- relaxed and just said, you know what, it's, it's okay to have a drink. Um, I, we used to have a staff policy when I was at New Spring that you couldn't drink, like nobody could drink. And uh, I relaxed that policy and probably about 2013, 2014, just co- like you, that's a great word to put it, coping with a lot of internal stress, coping with a lot of stuff that um, honestly found out in therapy that I'd never dealt with. Uh, I, I drank um, and it didn't it didn't start out like getting hammered. It's like I drank a half a bottle of wine every once in a while. And then one night I drank a full bottle and man, that felt I felt pretty good that, you know, and, and people always say, well, when you're drinking alcohol, you know, you feel bad the next day, but what they don't realize is when somebody's hurting that bad, they'll do anything for, um, just momentary relief. Like if, if you can just get three hours, four hours of peace. Now it, we all know the theological, it's not true peace only. I, I get all that, but when you're hurting and you're broken and you can't figure out how to, get it fixed. And you, you know, the Bible verses that you quote to other people, but when you quote them to yourself, it doesn't seem to work. So, um, and then I switched eventually from wine to, to liquor, which worked quicker. And, and I just, yeah, it was just that thing that eventually I, I was doing it every night. You said you did it to keep from hurting. What was your, what was your pain back then? You're talking about is it, is it is it leadership pain? Is it pain from your childhood? Is it what what was the pain or the stuff you're trying to numb out? Um, so I learned in you said intensive therapy. That was a great way to put it. I was molested as a kid. I never told anybody about it till I was in college, and I'd never dealt with that. I never dealt with my mother's death. Um, I'd never dealt with an, a very very emotionally and verbally abusive, sometimes physically abusive father. And to be honest with you, Brian, I, I didn't, um, I, I didn't think those were big deals. In fact, I would, I would make not, not really out loud, but internally I would make fun of people like, Oh, I'm sorry. You had a bad childhood. Get up, dust it off and move on. That was my attitude, but I'm, I'm crumbling. And then leading the church was actually fun. Like I actually received joy out of that. That was actually something that helped me, but there were all these internal battles going on. And then, um, my, my wife and I at the time were struggling in our marriage and we, it got to the point where we, um, you know, we weren't arguing. We just weren't communicating at all. And, um, you know, I've, I've been very upfront about accepting my blame in that. And, you know, as the, the leader, I just found it easier to numb out. It was just easier. It was convenient, and it brought me peace. Even though it <laughs> that temporary peace wound up taking me through a pretty sucky storm. So, how much were you drinking at your at your height or at your depth, depending on how you look at it? Um. So, <laughs> toward toward. So you know the you know the larger size Yetis. Yep. I would fill one up with ice and gin. And drink two of those every night. Hmm. No, so, no mixer, just straight gin and ice. Straight gin and ice. And it was, um, I mean, I could, <laughs> 40 pounds ago, I, and, and, you know, you build up that tolerance. It just took more and more and more. And I could, I, I did. I w- and, you know, for a while I could use the, no, I don't have a problem. I'm good. I don't drink. But then eventually it was like a, 
you know, and I'd wake up every day and tell myself, man, today's going to be the day that I don't do it. And then it, I would do it, you know? It's rare for a founding pastor to get, um, you know, to get fired. It's really rare other than the men- the things I just mentioned because, right. you know, the the church and even many, many boards don't want to get rid of the founder, not just for honoring the founder's sake, but because for the machine to generally keep rolling. And by the way, the machine, a lot of people think that's dirty language with the church. I like machines. I'm, I'm, I'm rebuilding an engine right now. I'm very mechanical. So by machine, I'm not talking about soulless, godless, cold. I'm just saying there's a, there's a driving mechanism. There's something that's taking you somewhere. I mean that in the positive thing, uh, but in the positive sense. So, so for the machine, from board standpoint, you know, for the machine to keep running, uh, taking out the, the founding pastor, boy, that's like dropping a wrench in the gears. That takes a lot for them to do that. Take us back there. Did, Did that surprise you? How'd that all come down? I was very surprised. I'm trying to think about how to walk through the situation and not not name a lot of names, but the way I remember it, and I've made notes all along the way, it was about mid-May of 2016 when I was initially confronted with or, or early May with a with a with a drinking issue. One of the staff members confronted me and um I said, I don't think I really have a drinking problem. I, I think I have a a marriage problem. So he and his wife came to dinner with me and my wife, and we had a, about a two or three hour conversation. And he left, I believe, thinking, no, you got both. You got a drinking problem and you and y'all are having a marriage problem. So we um, I had a therapist at the time who was like who specialized in working with church pastors, and he was on sabbatical in Germany. So we wound up flying to Germany for about nine or 10 days to to meet with him some, for some pretty aggressive um, therapy. And, you know, you, you've got probably their side of the story, my side of the story, and then somewhere in the middle, you got the truth. Um, but I, I didn't feel like it was super helpful. In fact, I, I feel like it, it set me back. And I got to the place, Brian, where there are sometimes, and when when you feel like when people are almost doing an intervention on you, that you will say just about anything just to get people to shut up. Mm. Um, but your heart's not changed. But so that's where I was. I was like, fine, we'll we'll go home, and I won't drink. They had it. They <laughs> they wrote down on pieces of paper the days that I could drink and the days that I couldn't drink and how much I could drink. It was. Um, Looking back, it was a little, but I was just like, you know what? I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Fine with it. And we got back and I did not do what I had agreed to. I broke my promise. I broke, you know, because at the end of the day, um, if somebody's really got a problem, whether it's drinking or drugs or porn or whatever it is, you can't just say, well, just stop it. But you can do it on these days and it'll be all right. I mean, there's a deeper problem. And so... Uh, about mid-June, the staff confronted, uh, the leadership team I served with confronted me and told me they felt I had a problem and they wanted me to take time off from the the pulpit and out of the office and um, to work on, I mean, they had a, a list of things I needed to do. And I told them, 
I said, well, I don't, I don't agree with this. And they, they came at me, you know, pretty strong and they had a reason to, they had their reasons. Um, I came back at them pretty strong and just kind of let them know, listen, guys, I'm not trying to be mean, but I don't work for you. Like you, you can't come in here and tell me I have to be off. And so um, th- there was a board in the church that the senior management team that I served with and the board, they had the the authority and the power together to make that decision or whatever. And so the senior management team took that to the board. The board and I met with the senior management team and that they, they were like, well, we think this is something you need to do. And I just, I said, guys, I'm, I'm 100% on board where there's a problem, but I don't think this is the solution. Uh, there was one board member that actually agreed with me who was a medical doctor. And he said, you know, if you're taking a man out of a job and out of community, because I wasn't allowed to come to the church offices for four or five weeks. So if you're taking a man out of a job and out of a community and sending him home, um, he, you're literally setting him up for failure. And, uh, but they, they saw it different. And I honestly believe they prayed about it and they thought they were doing what the Lord was telling them to do. And I just couldn't sign on to it. So probably about a week and a half later, we met on, I think it was Friday, July the 1st. And, uh, we met at four o'clock and by four 30, I was no longer the senior pastor. It was, it was done. We took a vote. They took a vote right there in front of you. Yeah, I, I, was, oh, I, was, I was. I got to vote too. I got to vote. Wow, it was eight to two. I I almost voted to fire myself because everybody was just saying remove, and I, it got to me. I, I, I'm not making it up. I almost said remove because I was just like caught up in the moment. I was just I, was, I almost like fired myself. But, I, I want to be like everybody else. Everybody else says remove. I want to say yeah, remove. I want to be. I want to be a cool kid. Wait, we're firing me. So. What was the What was it like then when you walked out of the office that day? What was your next day like? Your next week, month, year. So, so that Monday of the week that I got fired from Monday to Friday, I didn't have a drink, not one drop, not one drop of alcohol. I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do my part. And I was doing my best to try to figure out how to not get fired and salvage the, the relationship. I, I still love the church. I wanted to be, I, I wanted, I didn't want anything to fall apart. Um, I had a couple pastors, they were really good friends re- trying to reach out to the leadership and the board saying, Hey, we'll help any way we can. And all, I was thinking, you know, Brian, I'm an optimist. So I was thinking all the way up to the end, man, something's going to happen. There's, there's no way this is going to happen. And when I showed up to the, to the meeting that day at four and I tried to use my fob to get into the, the building, my fob didn't work. And so then I tried my key on the door and the locks had been changed. Before you'd and, even been fired, they'd all been changed. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And so I turned, I turned to my attorney, and she just looked at me, and she said, I think we're screwed. And I, I literally just I, – I, I got super emotional and choked up, but I, I fought that back. And um, so when I got fired and walked out, I, I could not believe it. I, it. It was like I was in a, in a dream. I, I, I was just – in the days I wasn't shocked. Hmm. Um, I wasn't mad at them. I was mad at me 
feeling incredibly guilty. Because, you know, man, at the end of the day, I'm not a victim. I poured the drinks. Did, did they do stuff wrong or did they mess up or did they screw some stuff up? You know what? I've got some pretty, I got some pretty bold opinions on that. But if I sit around and blame other people for my problems, I'll never take responsibility to fix what I can fix. And so at the end of the day, I, I poured the drinks. And if I wouldn't have poured the drinks the way I did, I would not have put them in the position to have to do that. And I've had people step in and go, well, if they did that, then perhaps down the road, I'm like, listen, I'm perhaps, perhaps not. I don't know. I just know what happened. I just know I did my part. I just know I'm owning my part. And that's, that's part of honestly, like, as you would say, aggressively moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I I think we talked before too. It wasn't just, you were drinking at home. I think you did some stuff in public under the influence. It kind of wasn't a good stuff, good thing as well. And that kind of exasperated stuff, right? Yeah. There was a, there was a trip to Israel where uh, I'd had too much to drink and I had said some stuff and, um, it was funny as I remember that and I didn't remember it being a big deal, but, and it wasn't a big deal at the time, but when, as I was getting fired, it, that came back up and I was like, well, this is the first time I've heard about it. And it was like three or four months ago. I don't like, I was super confused. I was like, why didn't somebody talk to me about it then? Like, why wasn't it a big deal then? But once again, obviously I did it. I made the mistake. I screwed up. I hear a lot of times people saying, hey, our identity shouldn't be in our ministry or our, or our identity shouldn't be in our job. And I agree with that to a point, to a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Christians will say that because they say our identity should be in Christ. I am forgiven by him. I am his son. I'm a son of God. That's my identity. I agree with that. That's my primary identity. And I also know that's not good enough. If you try to tell your kids, hey, you're just, you're love, you're in the Tome family, not good enough. They also right. got to know, are they an athlete? Are they a brain? Are they a thespian? There, there's got to, especially, especially for a man, oh, I'll speak as a man because I'm a man, not a woman, surprise, surprise. But I find <laughs> this is especially important for the men I know. Like there's a thing that I'm supposed to do and I am a mechanic. Right. I am a whatever. And for you, it was, I am a pastor. I am a founding pastor. I am an innovative, I am, I am leading. And then all that stuff is gone. Like, bam, like, bam, gone. And so when I say, how are you doing the next day, week, month, year? I'm not, you went to alcohol. I wasn't thinking alcohol. I was just thinking like, was his identity crisis? What, what takes place? I was super confused for about a week. And Anderson being a small town, um, anywhere I would go in town, somebody would see me, I would have to have a conversation. And I'll be honest with you, Brian, people, people talk to me all the time about, man, it was so bold of you to, to go to rehab. I didn't want to go. The, the, it's so funny. The only reason I really went to rehab was to get out of Anderson because it's the only way, it's, I was like, well, um, I mean, in my in my comp package when I got fired, the church said if I wanted to go to this one particular rehab center that, that they had picked out that I could go. It was a 30-day program. And um, I was like, screw it. If it gets me out of Anderson, I'll go. So I booked the flight, called, 
got registered, went out there, dove into the program, and it was honestly one of the one of the best things I've ever done. That's cool. So then you didn't have an identity crisis after this took place. Oh no, I still did. You know, because when you're a first of all a pastor in rehab was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> they would be like, "You're, you're a what?" <laughs> But what was really cool about it is is I got to I got to have some really incredible conversations with some people that have um, will probably never darken the doors of a church. Uh, it was it was a very op- eye opening experience. Three days in, um, no, I'm sorry, four days in, the the therapist that I was seeing and the medical doctor that I was seeing both told me, "You're not an alcoholic." They said you have trauma. And you have not dealt with the trauma, which is causing you to drink. So if we took alcohol away from you, you would cope with something else. Then they took me back all the way through my childhood because after I got molested from about ages five to 16, 17, I coped by overeating. I used to weigh over 300 pounds. Wow. Then I went and I coped with, with porn for a while. And then I coped with alcohol or what I would, I was always coping with something. So if you take, if somebody's really dealing with some trauma and you take what they're coping with away from them, but you don't deal with the trauma, they'll just find another vice. And so they were like, we could treat you for alcoholism, but when you leave, you'll, you'll find something else. They said, we got to treat you for trauma. And I was like, Oh, Okay. I was, y'all are the, y'all are the professionals. Let's do, but the next 26, 27 days were looking back. They were some of the best days of my life, but in the process, man, that crap's hard. That's just, it's just deep, deep work. And it, it was, it was tough. Wow. And so you came back from quote unquote rehab on your journey to getting out of trauma. And mm-hmm. I mean, then what, what, how, how are you feeling? How are you finding your place in, in society and culture, all that stuff? Well, it was so cool. I had a buddy of mine that, um, he's got like a, he's got like a, a business that, the, that ministers to churches or whatever. And he had some office space and he had an empty office and he reached out to me. And he said, Hey man, when you get back from rehab, I've got you an office. He said, I got you a desk. I got you a coffee maker. I got you a printer. And he didn't give me a job. He just said, I know you, you're going to want to work. You're going to want to do something. You're going to have to have somewhere to get up and go every single day. He said, so I just want to provide that space for you. And Brian, it was so cool because I would, I literally made myself get up every morning, go to the gym. I was, I was staying with some friends. They had an apartment. They just let me stay there for free. So I would get up, go to the gym, go to the office from eight thirty to five and write down ideas, write down book ideas, write down business ideas, <laughs> write down all sorts of stuff, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And eventually decided, you know, I, I thought I was done with pastoring because, you know, once a, once a pastor gets, you know, gets injured, they just get taken out of the game outside the stadium and then shot. But I just thought, well, I'll just consult. I'll just consult with churches and travel around. And I did that for, I did it for about a year, year and a half. And it was, 
it paid the bills, but it wasn't what I was supposed to do, you know? Yeah, well, you, you came up to Crossroads and helped us greatly. Uh, I, I had you. I think we might have been your first client. Be- you were the first. You were the first uh, church that had me. I hadn't even advertised anything yet. You asked me because you were reaching out saying, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "I'm going to consult." You said, "Come up here." I'm like, "I'm not sure I can help you guys do anything." And anyway, I, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that trip very well. Well, my thing was uh, fresh eyes looking at things that we were doing is always helpful, and you were incredibly, incredibly helpful. But the big thing really was I thought, man, I don't want a good dude who I personally know to just get out there and flounder. I need to I need to be there for him in some way. And if that's giving him a three-day gig, you know, where he can come up and do some stuff, we give him some jack, and him and I get to hang out in my deck, you know, for three nights or something like that, whatever that is. I just I just wanted I just fell for you, man. I just fell for you. And um that's why it's it's really a treat to see how well you're doing right now and what's going on in your life. Well, I remember that trip very well because you're the first person that ever brought up to me, hey, do you think you'll ever pastor again? And if if I'm recalling this correctly, Brian, you might have been the first person I ever told yes. Um, I, I just remember thinking, it, I want to do it. I'm not, just not sure I can. And I remember you specifically asking me, so... So like the whole setup thing, the pipe, the drape, the setup, the tear, like you want to do that again? And I just remember nodding my head going, I think I do. Like, I think, <laughs> that, I, think I really, and you were like, you said to me, you was like, you got to be called because, whoa, man, I just, I did, those days were tough. And I was like, yeah, but I think I want to do it again. And so that was one of the very first conversations I ever had about maybe possibly doing it again, you know? Yeah. Well, you ended up doing it again. Just tell us about your church. You got a church called Second Chance. Why did you call it Second Chance? It's that. It's just that name that it doesn't really need an explanation. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, especially if you live in Anderson and you know I'm the pastor, you get it right off the bat. You're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We know what that's all about. Hmm. Um, but 2017... I had a friend in the UK, I'll give you the very short version, that told me you should you should launch it online. Like if you launch your church, you should just launch it on like Facebook Live. And think about it. You don't have any staff. You don't have any overhead. You don't have any. I was like, man, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. It'll never work. And and um, But it was like that thing that I couldn't get out of my mind. And so when I went back over to the UK to see them again in November 2017, he's the guy that picked me up at the airport. He's like, have you thought about it? Have you thought about it? You should. And finally, I was like, I, I was just like, okay, okay. So December third, two thousand seventeen, had my iPhone seven and Facebook Live, and that was our first church service. Did that for about six weeks, and then started inviting probably a handful of people, fifteen twenty people, sat in a room with me for probably about a year. No music, no anything. Just five, four, three, two, one, preach. And then in 2019, we're able to kind of get a building and start with two services and go from there. And it's been a it's been an incredible journey ever since. Is there a a specific kind of person that's drawn to a name Second Chance? Like, do you think you're seeing more um, obviously hurting people than with a you know, other name, and I say obviously, just about everybody's hurting, but I mean obviously hurting, like you can tell it. Do you, do you find like the the kind of people your church attracts is different than somebody who goes to a church called New Spring? 
or a church like New Spring or Crossroads with that as a name? 100%. Um, so one of the things that I do, and I actually love doing this, is after I walk off the stage, we have three services right now, so all three services, I'll walk back to our first-timers area and because I want to meet the first-timers. And I didn't do that at first, but I started doing that in our current facility. And Brian, I'm not exaggerating, at least once a week, if not more, sometimes it's been four or five, somebody walks up to me and tells me how long they've been clean. Mm. It's some of those are like, I've been clean 20 years. And some of them are, I've been clean for three days. But for me, I get super choked up and emotional every time because I'm thinking, how many how many churches have the environment where somebody can walk up and tell the pastor how long they've been clean and they know he gets it. Um, and so it's, it's been a, it's been a journey for me on um, how to show other people compassion and empathy that are legitimately struggling. And, and yeah, we've got some people in our church that if it wasn't for second chance, um, I don't think they'd be in church. I've, they, they've actually told me that. So I'm super thankful for it. I'm wondering right now, you know, I'm just seeing you, the competitive juices are going on. I, I, I bet you I can preach better than you. That's what I bet. I bet I can preach better than you right now. I, I bet right now, right now, I give a sermon better than you. Do, you. do you believe that? Do you believe? I mean, maybe. It depends on, it depends on the subject. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, let's, so let's do a little competition here. I pick a topic, and then we have a one-minute preach-off, and then you pick the topic, and we do a one-minute preach-off. And then I pick the topic. We'll do we'll do four rounds, two and two. I don't know that much about the Bible, man. <laughs> one minute? You don't, even have, you don't even have time to actually quote a Bible verse in one minute. This is like a little preach that's sermon sermonette preach-off. This, this is actually Dirt's idea. If you don't like this, it's, it's all Dirt's problem. <laughs> This is your uh, idea, I got the right? timer ready. You have the timer ready? Timer is ready. Oh, One man. Minute. All right, who's, what are we doing? Who's All right, here first? we go. All right, here it is. Okay. Uh, first topic is going to be joy. Joy. First topic, joy. Joy. Like, why should you be happy joy? All right, so uh, here's mine. Here's mine. Here we go. All right. Uh, Book of Philippians talks about joy again and again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, you know, the problem is joy is different than happiness because happiness is based on what happens. If good things are happening, then I feel happy and I'm all about happiness in that, in that way. I want more good things to happen, but there's a joy, something that comes down deep inside when you make the choice to not be a victim and you make the choice that God is for you, you make the choice that you are with God, you make the choice to be forgiven, to be free, you make the choice to ask God to empower you and that gives you joy. That's my minute. Go ahead. Your turn. I surrender. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Are we ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. ready. I know oh. you're gonna kick my ass too. Don't be don't be playing this like down home southern all boy shucks thing. Ladies and gentlemen, do not be deceived by the thick southern accent. Don't don't. This guy's a killer. All right, I'll give it a try. Here we go. Um, joy is not based on circumstances. It's based on a mindset. One of the things that I've heard so many pastors say. I've said this. I don't know if you've said this, but but I've heard pastors say, and it bothers me, 
that God does not want us to be happy. God wants us to be holy. My problem there is the dichotomy between happiness and holiness, because I want, I just ask people, where is the most holy place in the universe? Heaven, in the presence of God. In the presence of God, are we going to be happy? Absolutely. Are we going to be filled with joy? Absolutely. But it all has to do with what's in our minds. Our minds comprehend that we are in the presence of God. And when our minds can understand that we are in the presence of God, it makes joy possible through just about any circumstance you could think of. Damn. Woo. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, Dirt. See? That Gosh, was pretty good. Yeah. That was pretty that good. Was, that, that's that was pretty strong. Fascinating. The holiness and happiness. I've played off of that one before. But yeah, you're right. We're going to be unhappy in the holy presence Are of God. Unhappy in the presence of God. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. All right. Your turn now. Pick the topic. Pick a topic. Giving. Giving. I know that's your will. I know that's your wheelhouse, man. Giving. I, I know. People don't turn the aggressive life to become aggressive givers. You just trying to hand it to me? You just trying to hand it to me right now? That's a I know that's your wheelhouse, man. There's no way I'm gonna be able to comprehend. I, I'm just not even gonna be able to hold your jock strap on this one. So I thought you'd do something like uh, you know, hope or second chances and forgiveness. I was setting you up for your bailiwick. Like no man, I got my I got my recording here. I'm gonna whatever you say on giving. I'm just gonna play it at my church on Sunday. I'm just gonna play it. I mean, like, here's my friend Brian's home. This is what he says about giving. You really want to do a giving sermon right now? You really want to do that? 100. <laughs> percent Okay. 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 Uh, uh, okay. 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 I was not, I was not up for intense <laughs> topics. I was up for hope, joy, peace, it's, it's rejoicing, all that stuff. Okay. Giving. Giving. One minute. All right. Here it goes. Um, Jesus says, freely have you received, freely give. I love being a receiver. I love it. I love it. Love it. Because I want to have all that God has for me. And he just he keeps pouring stuff onto me. He gives me stuff. People like Perry are good friends of mine who I don't even spend much time with. He's given me possessions. He's given me family. He's been pouring things into me. And as he's poured it into me, it's because he is pouring it into me. And I want to be like God. So to be like God, I've got to be a giver because I'm already a receiver and he's given to me. So I have to now be a giver. And it isn't just, hey, I've got to give 10% of my income to the work of God. It's, I've got to give of my possessions for people to use. I've got to, people come over to our house. Um, they've been coming over a lot recently. We had, we had 15 people over our house all day yesterday. And people are, always feel very welcome when they come over because my wife, my wife has a gift of hospitality. But what she they, does. she does, you've experienced it. But hospitality is about generosity. You want to be mm. generous in giving people a clean house so they know they've been thought of. You want to be generous in making sure they have drinks and food for them. You want to be generous in all of that stuff. So, so generosity is really part of making the Spirit of God feel at home in my heart. I want to be hospitable. My generosity freely giving is what encourages God to be very present in my heart because I'm telling him, you're welcome here, I'm prepared for you, and I'm going your direction. That might have been longer than a minute. That was still good. We'll use all that. All right, good. Your turn. My turn? Okay. At the end of the day, I will confess that I want to be blessed. I know that's not a very um, 
a Christian thing to say in some circles. Oh, I had a guy tell me one time, I'm actually praying that I'll suffer more. And I'm like, dude, just live. You don't have to pray that prayer. You're going to suffer. I promise. Um, me personally, I want to be blessed. And if you really dig down with just about any person on the planet, they're going to tell you at the end of the day, they want to be blessed too. And I don't want to be just blessed in one area of my life. I want to be blessed in every area of my life. Jesus said, and I'm going to go with what Jesus said because he was dead and now he's alive. So that guy's got my attention. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if I really want to be blessed in whatever area I want to be blessed in, that's the area I have to give the most in. That's good. That's good. Probably better than me. You're good, man. You're really, really good. I don't know, man. I, I just, <laughs> it's, it's just that I've never done a, a preach off like that. That was fun. That was aggressive. That was, that was aggressive. aggressive, man. That was aggressive. Totally aggressive. You know, there, there's people out there who um, uh, might might accuse me of, you know, you're 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 giving your platform to somebody who's, you know, who got fired, bad behavior, yada, yada. You shouldn't give your platform to somebody like that. I, I feel like, I feel like there's a group of people that just don't want any comebacks to ever happen. They don't believe in second chances ever happening. They're almost excited to just write people off. It's the only way they burn calories is by using their wrists and hand muscles to write people off. It's really, really sad, especially when it happens to people who call themselves followers of Christ, who we are the, we're supposed to be the kings of second chances, the kings of giving grace, not the kings of canceling. And that, 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 that's, that's really a, a bummer. A lot of people would struggle that um, you're doing well right now. My gosh, you're doing well. You've got, you've got a ministry that's growing and thriving. You've got a, a marriage now that's really going in the right direction. Um, give, give encouragement to those of us who may feel like we've just made a bad mistake and my life is over. There's no more chances for me. It's, it's never going to be the way it could have been. I've totally screwed up my future. That's what passive negative people think, not, mm -hmm. not people like you. So tell us why that isn't true. So early in the process, Brian, and I'm not exactly sure what it, it, it was less than a week that I was, that I'd been fired and I was sitting around in my apartment and I was feeling bad and I was complaining and moaning and talking to God. And, um, I really felt the Lord speak to me because I wrote this down and he said, people will feel sorry for a victim, but they will never follow one. And I knew God's call on my life was to lead. And so I said, you know what? I'm not a victim. I am not a victim. I can, I can sit here and blame them for firing me, or I can accept the fact, like I said earlier, I poured the drinks. I told them I would stop, and I didn't stop. I got fired. So you know what? I'm going to own my crap, and I'm going to move forward. And so, and and failing doesn't disqualify you. Failing is actually what sets you up for success, because the you know you you don't have to really dive that deep in scripture to understand Abraham got way more than a second chance Noah got a second chance that's my big funny thing about Noah Noah 
Nobody talks about the fact, everybody talks about the fact he built a boat. Nobody talks about the fact that he got drunk, naked, passed out in a tent and cussed out his grandkids. I got drunk, kept my clothes on, got fired. So, you know, that's a, Noah but got let's a put, second. Let's put him on the walls of our Sunday school class. Sunday school exactly. class. Yeah, keep exactly. going, keep let's going. Let's all of our children's Bibles. It's a bad story. Um, David, a man after God's own heart, got second chances. Peter denied Christ three times and preached on the day of Pentecost 50 days later. Because I, I had somebody tell me, you're coming back too soon. And I said, well, I mean, maybe, but find me the verse. Find me the verse that tells me how long I got to stay out of the game. Um, because if, if you can show me the verse, I'll, I'll stay out. But listen, eternity is real. Hell is hot and life is short. So I feel like I need to get, I feel like I can play. I feel like I can play. Um, Thomas got a second chance. All, like all the apostles. I mean, they all screwed up. They all, so for me, I'm like, number one, I'm not a victim. And I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to play the victim card. Number two, I'm going to use this and the lessons I learned from it to move forward to number three, connect with people that I've not been able to connect with in the past. Um, now, if if people are like broken down and screwed up and messed up, they they call me. They and and I am very, very open to receiving those phone calls, because if I can if I can help somebody out, man, I want to help somebody out. Um so that that's the biggest thing that stood out to me, though, is I'm, I'm not a victim. In fact, Brian, it's really funny right now where my house is located. I live less than a mile from the New Spring broadcast campus. I literally go to the end of my road and there it is. And every time I see the sign, I don't get mad. I don't throw things. I don't cuss. I don't think about driving through it. I'm just like, you know what? That's a great season. And I, I keep going. I've, I've, I've let bitterness and anger go in my heart. I've forgiven. Um, I've moved on. It <laughs> That was a process. I wish I could say it happened through a prayer, but it happened through a process. Um, and I'm, you know, am I completely over it? I don't know. I don't know, honestly, if I'll ever get completely over it. I wish I could say I was. But I'll tell you this, I'm better right now than I was a month ago or two months ago or a year ago or two years ago, um, I'm, I'm doing way better than I was then. So as long as I can, as long as I'm making progress in that area, I can, I can, I can, I can choose joy. Do you have staff with your current second chance church? I do. How many, how many staff? We have, so there's, there's 10 of us total. How do you feel managing an organization of 10 people versus an organization of three to 400 people? I mean, is that, is that, fun, freeing, like I never want to go back to three, 400 staff members, or is it, no, it's just where I am right now. It doesn't matter. 10, 300, 400, doesn't matter. What, what, what's your, what's your reflections on, on that and, and having a, well, maybe it isn't a simpler organization to lead or is that not true? Well, yes and no. The, the answer is like, I got open hands. So God, whatever you give us, that's what we're going to say right now. We got 10 staff members. I love them. I think, I think we, we call ourselves, well, I call, you know, the Rudolph Christmas special, the Island of Misfit Toys. That's, that's, that's what we look like when we have a staff meeting. We are the Charlie in the box. We are the train with square wheels. Like none of us should probably be in ministry, but, but we are. And, um, it's, it's so cool to serve with them because they all know the story. They all know my story. They, and, and I know their story. 
And so we've been very honest and transparent. And um, it's, you know, it's got its challenges. But honestly, Brian, I'm, I'm probably, and this isn't to say anything negative about New Spring or my time there. I'm just enjoying ministry right now more than I ever have. And I say that with 100% sincerity. I really do love what I get to do. I'm, I'm, I'm super, I'm, I'm, I think I'm more thankful than I've ever been because once you've had something and you lost it and you get a chance to do it again, you're, you're pretty freaking thankful that you you got a second chance, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, I, I was one of the folks who was interacting with you saying, Hey, I don't, I don't know, man, now the right time to start a church in the backyard of where you were. I don't, I I don't know. I, I, I was asking some questions there and you know, but the the reason that you and I were able to have that discussion and you were able to ask me those questions is because we had a previous relationship. We knew each other. I knew you weren't asking me those questions from like a pharisaical point of view. You were asking me those questions because you sincerely loved and cared about me as a person and you didn't want to see me do something incredibly stupid. And so to me, that's that's the litmus test, right? I'll listen to anybody that I've got a relationship with, and I feel like they can they know me, they they can speak into me. There, I've got a lot of people like that, but like Bible Boy One Eighty Two on Twitter, like I, he's got two followers and one's his mom. I'm not gonna <laughs> pay attention to that guy. I love I love this quote. People will feel sorry for a victim, but they won't follow one. Yep. Boy, I really identify with that one. I'm, I'm preaching on this this weekend. I don't think we've shared it here on, on the podcast. I had a, one of my best moments of repentance just last Monday. We haven't mm. talked about this, but um, I, I just, I just been, I, I had a rough last three years, like just about every person who leads an organization has, just really, really rough. Went away on a long break over the summer, seven weeks, came back, haven't done one of those for a long, long time. Came back, first day at work Monday, I get up going, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. Oh gosh, oh gosh. Got through Monday, okay. Tuesday, okay. Wednesday, okay. We got through all the work week, okay. I was like, oh, okay. What was a good week? A good week is I get to the end of a day and I don't say something stupid and have to go apologize to somebody. Because I'm when I'm worn down, I right. get angry. I'm on the edge. And I say stupid things. Like, Why did I do, you know? So a whole week of not having to do that. It was really good. First weekend preaching, I'm like, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if it's going to be any good. And before I go out on the stage, uh, there is there is this palpable, overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit that whacks me. The best word to use it, though it sounds oogie, is an anointing. It, it moved me. I just, I, I broke down. It was like I was in an NFL locker room. Mm. Sermon went really well, really, really good. Three services. Come back Monday, same thing. I'm going, oh, gosh, I don't know. I was like, stop, stop. Stop, stop. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. And I realized, man, I've been thinking for three years. I'm tired. I'm not saying I wasn't tired two years ago. I'm not saying I wasn't tired a year ago. But at some point, that becomes the narrative of your life. And you just become a victim. Oh, it's so hard. I'm so tired. And I was, no, stop. I got to repent here. A change of mind. No, I'm good. I'm good. And it's a new day I'm going for. I tell you, as soon as I had to say to God, God, I'm sorry. I've been leaving, right. believing lies that are not true. It was true two years ago. It's not true today. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be that way anymore. I'm telling you, man, repentance, bam, like, like a light switch. I've been on fire since. It's been phenomenal. And I think, I wonder also with some of our leadership woes, if I wasn't just wearing the victim card too much, 
Because who's going to be inspired by a victim? There's a line between being empathetic to somebody and then seeing a victim. Um, so anyway, you ministered to me on that. That's fantastic. Well, and, and the other thing is, you know this too, is every time you see a victim, they, they, they've always got another part of their sad story. And they're always <laughs> going to blame it on somebody else. Right. And at some point, I'm like, you know, I am so sorry you've lost five jobs, okay? I, I'm sorry. But you're the common denominator in the five job losses. So let's figure out, you know, okay, you're an hour late. Okay, let's let's work on that because you're not a victim. You're just late. That's that's the problem. <laughs> you can't get there on time. So let's work on getting there. That's the that's the whole find the real problem because the, especially in the world we live in today, everybody's a victim. Every oh, I got bullied. What do you mean you got bullied? Somebody said something mean about me on Twitter. Okay, well, man, back in my but, day, bullied mean two guys jumped on you and gave you a bloody nose. Yeah, or a wedgie that's in front bull- of everybody. That's that's bullying. Yeah. That's real that stuff. Not someone yeah. made me feel bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if if you're gonna get down over somebody making you feel bad, don't go into ministry. But and if you do, don't don't have a any social media presence or or read any comments because. It's just, it, you know, it, 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 but it, that comes with the territory. Once again, I'm not a victim. Yes. Somebody wants to say something bad. You know what? That's their choice. I have the choice as to whether or not it affects my mood or not. And it just, I had a really good friend tell me one time that block button on your social media accounts is one of the most freeing things in the world. Yeah. I was like, man, that's a good, that's a good word. Right. That's a good word right there. Brother, is there anything you wanted to be talking about that we haven't talked about yet? No, man. This is like the first podcast I've done in like two or three years. Um, it and I'm I'm actually getting ready to launch mine again pretty soon. So super excited about that. But um, I think we've covered it. I, I you know, you I tell people. I told the staff a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of the things that I learned, I was talking about the things I learned when I was traveling and consulting with other churches. And I said, it, that wasn't just a me dropping wisdom. It was a me going and learning. And so we were in a staff meeting with a group of people at, at your church and um, somebody w- was apologizing to you. I can't remember who it was, I, but there was like eight or nine people in the room. Somebody was apologizing to you about a mistake. They said, you know, Brian, I did this and I screwed it up. I'm sorry. And I never forget you said this. You said, you don't have to apologize. You made an aggressive mistake. Um, If you're going to make mistakes around here, you need to make aggressive ones. Keep up the good work. Let's keep going. And I, like I sat there going, that's freaking amazing. So I wrote it down. I had a little notebook at the time and I wrote it down and I was, I shared that with my staff the other day. I said, um, I was talking about this particular podcast and I was telling them about you a little bit. And I said, let me tell you what I learned from Brian. And so you got to make aggressive mistakes. You got to make aggressive mistakes. You got to make aggressive mistakes. And then not stupid mistakes, but yeah. aggressive. I um, I just appreciate that posture. I learned that from you. Hmm. And uh, I, I appreciate your friends, friendship through this whole thing because it's real funny. I told people, the, I've told people, you got three types of friends when you go through something like this. You got friends that will ghost you. You got friends that will support you privately, but they won't do anything publicly. And then you got people that say you're still my friend. And that's who you've been. You, yeah. You're one of the guys, one of the few guys that have been like, hey, man, you're still my friend. So me getting to come on your podcast today, 
do this. It's a, it's a big deal. And I appreciate it a whole lot. Well, that's, well, that means a lot. Thanks, man. I don't remember that, that interaction you're talking about, however many years ago that was, but, um, yeah, the, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. The aggressive life wasn't like sitting around and going, Hey, let's have a pithy phrase that could set us apart. It was just, you know, who am I? And that's, we say it all the time. Aggressive mistakes can always live with. It's the passive mistakes. Those are the ones that kill you. They're the yeah, ones that hurt you. You know, just, just sitting and waiting. Down. It's awful. No, it is. It, it, it's just the ones where you just assume it's going to be okay and just soon it's going to work itself out, and it doesn't. Pray about and, it. Yeah, I'm right. right. Pray, have you talked to that person? I'm praying about it. I'm praying well, about it, right. They're, they're painting the building blue, so you got you need to quit praying and just go tell them to stop painting the building blue. That's, that's it. <laughs> Perry, man, this has been uh, this has been great. I could I could I could honestly talk with you for another hour. Maybe we'll do part two on something because you got a lot to drop on us, a lot to share. I didn't even get into your your running fixation. I'm curious about your running stuff. I'm curious about new things you're doing in a new marriage that you might not have done the first marriage. And what have you learned? I'm curious about how you're a different leader now. That, gosh, there's so much dirt. I feel like. Maybe we should do part two someday. Love it. Let's may, do it. May, co- Let's do it. Gosh. All right. Let me just think about that. We might, yeah. I might call you back next week and do another part. Is that cool by you? Wide open, man. Whatever you guys want. Whatever you guys, whatever you guys need. That's it. You're my, my good friend. He took another swing. He's taking another swing and he's freaking crushing it. Don't be down on your luck. Don't be, don't be passively just wallowing in all the difficult things that have happened to you, even though they may be legitimate. Start someplace. Turn someplace, turn around, start something, make an aggressive move. Healing and freshness and wholeness and new victories are in your future, but it starts with you. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Love you, man. Keep up the good work. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.